Okay, let's get started. Father God, we thank you so much for um, today. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for your word and what you teach us, God. And I pray that you teach us over the next few minutes. And um, may it be more than a lesson to us, may it be more than facts, but may it... Uh, may you use it to like reach deep into our hearts and just stick your finger in there and do whatever you're going to do, God. So we ask this, we trust that you will do it because your word never, um, it's not without power. So we trust in you, we trust in the in the power of your word, God. So we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, guys. <clears throat> guys, want some, uh, you guys get a treat for a ride one time. They're a little bit late, actually. All right. So, um, who was who was here for the last couple lessons from Harry? One person. Again. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about the the offices of Christ. So did we talk about the um, the Latin term for the offices of Christ? It's munus triplex. So triple, you know, you guys know that's like in terms of numbers. What is that? That's three, and communist, the offices. Like, if you guys have ever heard of um, the, the word uh, municipal or municipality, I think it uh, sounds from this right here. So, offices. So, these are, we're talking about the th- uh, three offices of Christ, which are uh, prophet, which Harry covered the last couple of weeks, priest, and king. So, Michael's going to cover king. So, today I'm going to cover uh, the priest. And um, so let's uh, look at what the priest does. So we, um, because we're Protestants, because we're not Catholic or uh, Anglican or whatever, uh, we may not be really as familiar with other people as as to what a priest is. But um, this is what this is a function of the priest in the Old Testament. So the Old Test in the Old Testament, a priest acted as a mediator between the people and God, and a priest acts as a representative of sinners before God. So. Why, why does there need to be a priest? So, here's here's why. So there's God, right? There's God, and what's one of the most? Um, holy. Yeah, Michael. Michael has it. Uh, God is holy. Do you guys know what holy means? Any, anyone take a guess? In this sense, righteous. Righteous, all right. Righteous. So when we say that God is holy, it's it's uh, he's perfect. He's without any flaw, without any sin, and he's not merely a better version of us. He's not like us um, to the infinity power because he's like so much better. But it's because he's completely separate from us. He's completely other than us. He's on a completely different plane than we are. So this is what we are. We're the people. So what are we? What's the opposite of a holy? Yeah, sinner is sinful. And so if someone is sinful, they can't relate to God because God is completely other, because God is completely holy. And the Bible says that God cannot stand sinners. He can't have sin in his presence. So what happens... We need someone to, if we're going to have a relationship with God, if we're going to um, relate to God in any way, it ha- there has to be someone in between us. So this is where the priest comes in. So the priest acts as a mediator 
between God and man. So the um, in the Old Testament, the the um, the uh, the priesthood was established by God when God gave the Israelites the law. He he specified a specific family to for for the um, for these priests to come from. Do you guys have any idea what that might be? Levi. Levi. All right. Cool. Levites. So this is the tribe of Levi. Specifically, these guys are from the uh, the family of Aaron. 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 <laughs> Aaron. Actually, so Aaron, actually, Aaron's a subset of Levi. Oh, okay, he's a subset. Okay, let me flip that around. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if that graphically represents it, but um, so this is. Can you guys get think of a name uh, in the or can you guess the a book in the in the Old Testament that uh, Leviticus. Leviticus. All right, so and if you look at Leviticus in the Old Testament, if you read it, you'll notice that there's like a bunch of laws. Right, this is what you need to do. This is what you have to do. And why is that? It's because God says, if you're going to relate to me, there has to be someone in between. And the Levitical priest is the one that has to know how to relate, relate to God. So this is a, so it's really important for the priest to know what to do because you know, God is very exacting in how he says we need to relate to him. So um, you'll, see, you'll, you'll notice if you look in your Old Testament, they're like, all these crazy laws, like chapters and chapters of Things they should do, things they shouldn't do. So, this was uh, this was this happened when, when um, when this law was given to the people, and then uh, uh, so so God says these are where the priests are going to come from. But here's something really interesting. So we're going to look at um, our first section right here, the Old Testament, looking forward to a better priest. There was a man that came. Before even the law was given, and he was a priest. So we don't have this. Um, I don't have this written down in your in your notes. But I'm going to just um, read to you Genesis 14, and this is actually the first appearance of this guy named Melchizedek. And then we'll read this verse from the Psalms uh, after. But um, Genesis 14:17 through 20. This is uh, talking about how uh, Abram is blessed by this guy named Melchizedek. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has delivered you, delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So, here's this man named Melchizedek. So, I want us to keep this in mind because this is actually the only place that we see Melchizedek doing, doing anything in the entire Bible. So, Melchizedek, and then he's a king of Salem. Alright, I want us to remember that Salem. We'll, we'll get back to that later. But So, here's this guy named Melchizedek. What's funny is that if you notice, Genesis comes before, um, in, in terms of like chronology, Genesis comes before the priests ever come around, before the priests of Levi, from the tribe of Levi, before they're ever established. So this is where we go into our verses. So 
Um, Priscilla, can I ask you to read <coughs> Psalm 110? Uh, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, that's really interesting because God says that there is going to be a priest that comes from the order of Melchizedek. Wait a minute. I thought the priests were only supposed to come from the tribe of Levi. Interesting. All right. Um, Yvonne, can I have you read uh, Zechariah 6.13, please? It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and, sit, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. All right. So in this book of Zechariah, he's a minor prophet. He talks about uh, someone that's going to come that is going to act as a priest, who's going to sit on the throne. So, uh, this is so we see in the Old Testament. Okay, maybe there's more than a priest from Levi. Maybe there's another priest that is to come. So we see in the Old Testament uh, little echoes of what is to be. I so, guess the reason why you're you're saying this is because um, Jesus is not in the tribe of Levi. Right. Oh, so do you guys know which tribe? You, um, uh, Jesus. Judah. Yeah. <laughs> Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Which is not the tribe of Levi. You see that? Interesting, huh? <laughs> All right. Why is a priest necessary in the New Testament? So, Carrie, can I ask you to read? Um, actually, let me read this first. The priesthood in the Levitical order was limited in the scope of what it could do. So, we're going to see later on that the, the stuff that, that the Levites did, the, the Levitical priest... They're, what they did was prescribed by God, but it was still not good enough. So, Kara, can I have you read uh, Hebrews 7, 11 through 12? Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, yeah. rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. All right. So do you guys notice what the writer of Hebrews is saying here? He's saying that um, this this person, Melchizedek, he comes up again. And he mentions these people from, um, from the order of Aaron right here. And what he's saying is uh, this, isn't, this, this doesn't sufficiently meet the needs of... Of everything, it is good because God prescribed it, but it doesn't sufficiently meet the needs of all these things. So, hey guys, I'm not sure if we have uh, no, we enough sheets, so uh, you guys might want to share. Sorry about that. All right, so we're going to look more as to at uh, at what that is later on. All right, so qualifications of a priest. So I'm just going to go through a few of these things right here. Um. We have to, they have to uh, feel and share in the weaknesses of people. So we're looking at the book of Hebrews now. And actually, the book of Hebrews is where we get a lot of this information as to what a priest does and specifically what Christ does as a priest. So, Hannah, can I ask you to read um, Hebrews 5, 1 through 2 and the qualifications of a priest? He can deal gently with the ignorance of the Lord, since he himself All right. So what a priest is, is he had to... Um, represent his people and he had to know who his people were um, and just like to like um, just to uh, maybe remind us as to like the, the, the type of work that the priest did there is a uh, uh, this is the do you guys remember um, we had I think we had a lesson like a while back I'm going to pretend this is a temple this is not like what it really looked like but 
but what a priest did is a priest would, uh, what would the priest do when he went into the temple? You guys remember? Clean himself. Okay. Clean himself. Okay, so he had like, why did he have to clean himself? Because he's not clean. Because he's not clean. Because remember, <laughs> guys, holy. And this is like, uh, in the large part, it was a, a symbolic act to show that he was not, he was not um, holy like God required. Um, and he, when he went inside the temple, what did he do? He. Use the holy water. I'm sorry. Use the holy water. Is that what it is? Um, well, more more specifically, uh, what was his main purpose? Uh, what was the main thing he did when he went into the temple? Atonement. I'm sorry. Atonement. The atonement. Yes. The atonement. Which the atonement is what he would do is he would like kill <coughs> animals. <laughs> right, these are dead animals, right? And this what this the reason why this had to happen was because there had to be an atonement for the sins of the people. Remember, the people are sinful. The priest came and acted as a representative of the people to approach God. And he's, what he's doing is he's uh, atoning for the sins of his people. And he's saying, these are blood offerings to God because your people are sinful, because uh, God requires a sacrifice. So, remember that the priest was just a man. So, uh, so what they did was um, they actually like would put little like bells on his ankles and they would tie tie a rope to his leg. So, if he went inside the temple, he was the only one that could go inside the temple. If at any point they heard the the um, tinkling of the bell stop, they would know that he died in the presence of God. So they would use a rope to pull him back out. And he was a regular man. He was, um, he was, he, he, he understood the weakness of the people. He was one of the people as a representative. So, this is what a qualifi- This is one of the qualifications of a priest. All right, um, next one, um, Karen. Can I have you read uh, Hebrews five four, please? He was appointed to the service by God. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. All right, Aaron was called by God. Here you see Aaron again, and the priest would have to come from uh, these guys right here. Um, and we'll see that Jesus was called by God to do this. Oh, I'm sorry. To go back to the first point, I'm, uh, I don't mean to jump around, but um, Jesus, what did he do when he came to earth? He clothed himself with the weaknesses of his people. He limited himself to flesh and bone, and he suffered like we do. Um, this is why in Hebrews it says that he can sympathize with us because he has experienced everything that we have experienced. So... Um, he must share in the weaknesses of his people. He must be appointed to the service by God. Um, he must offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So we see this is what the um, the priest did when he went inside the temple right there. Um, Tom, can I ask you to read Hebrews 5.1, please? Yeah. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. All right, cool, thanks. <laughs> So this is, this is what Jesus did. He offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Um, this other one, um, I'll just uh, go through this really quickly, but he must carry the names and needs of, his peop- of God's people. So the priests, when they approached God, when they went into the temple, they had to wear this really elaborate type of um, costume almost. And he would wear a turban, and then 
he would wear stones like he wore like a kind of like a breastplate with stones and on those stones would be the names of his people uh, of the of the 12 tribes of of uh, Israel uh so he would bear the names of the people that he was representing and we'll see um that Jesus he represents his people we'll see this um passage from John 17 we're not going to read it but Jesus approaches God in his high priestly prayer in John 17 and he bears the name of his people he represents his people so when God uh, when Jesus stands before God Jesus says I'm coming to you with the names of your people so can you just imagine Jesus with a uh, wearing a breastplate with our names on there and he's saying this is who I'm representing um, this is what Jesus does for us so all right so uh, here we go into the uh, the good stuff. Christ is a heart priest. So, page number two. Tim, can I ask you to read um, Hebrews two fourteen through eighteen? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who fear, who, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right. So here we see that Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with us. Jesus, he knows everything that we go through. He understands the, um, the loneliness and the temptation and the pain that we feel. And this is Jesus, when he represents us before God, he's saying, yes, I know what these people go through. I know what they feel because I went through the same things. And this is so cool. This is just like the coolest thing about, one of the coolest things about Christianity is that the person that we worship, he's not some like high and lofty being who's completely distant from us, but he actually came down to be just like us. So he understands our pain. He understands uh, all the things that we go through. And this is Jesus. He understands the things that, you know, you, we might be going through some, like, um, difficult things in our life right now. And Jesus says, I understand exactly what you're going through. What other God does that in any other religion? What other God can say, I went through the exact same thing that you have? This is Jesus. He sympathizes with us. All right. Um, Chow, can I ask you to read Hebrews nine fourteen and then 25, 26? <laughs> How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, uh, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with, with blood not his own, for then he would have, have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. All right. Here's another thing about Jesus, is that he sacrifices himself. He goes into the temple of God and he says, I'm not going to kill an animal. I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice. So the great, Jesus is our great high priest who is our sacrifice. <clears throat> and why, why can Jesus offer himself to God? Remember that people are sinful. God is holy. How is it that Jesus could offer himself? It's because Jesus was perfect. So Jesus, he was like us in every way, except he was not sinful. He never committed any sin at all. 
and this, this the the scriptures say that he was without blemish. So Jesus was the acceptable sacrifice before God. Um, Neiman, can I ask you to read Hebrews ten eleven through fourteen? After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. All right. So the the um, the priest he would have to go into the temple over and over and over because the people sinned over and over and over and whatever the priest did it was still even though he was clean even though um he might come out of the temple alive um you know the the, the bells on his feet would keep on ringing he'd come out of there even though he was successful in that realm he still what he did was still insufficient that's why he had to go into the temple over and over and over to do that. So um, what Jesus did was he had to, he had to, uh, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice, it says here that he sat down and the priest, they would not, you know, if there were chair here, the priest would not dare sit down because it would be presumptuous of him to think that what he did was his work was complete. But Jesus, the scriptures say, he sat down, which means that his, sacrifice was enough and he never has to do it again because his was the only sacrifice that's complete and his is the only sacrifice that is sufficient to meet the demands of God. Alright. Uh, next one. Can I have... Um, Jeff, can I ask you to read Hebrews seven twenty-five through 28 Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those uh, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. All right. Thanks. So Jesus, the priesthood of Jesus is eternal and able to save us completely. So this is so great, right? Remember, we, we go back to this fact that Jesus, his work is done. It was complete. It was sufficient. God accepted it. And that means that everything that Jesus has done for us is enough. Which kind of points to the gospel, right? It says it doesn't matter what you do or don't do because that in itself would never be enough for God. There needs to be someone who can completely save you. And this is what Jesus does. Any uh, questions or comments at this point? I think it's uh, interesting, this image, um, to be uh, in the Old Testament and to watch the high priest go in um, on the Day of Atonement. And uh, when he comes out, you feel so happy that God accepted the sacrifice. But um, the, the author of Hebrews is saying that to, to a huge degree, you also felt this dissatisfaction, right? Like, you felt like it's not enough. 
you know, it has to be done again, and uh, there's a, almost a futility to it, right? And mm -hmm. so it's really interesting, like, there's this tension as you're watching this drama of, yeah. uh, of it's good, but <coughs> it's, it's not enough, right? Mm -hmm. The priest never sits down. I think that's also a really arresting image. Yeah. He's always standing, mm -hmm. which means he's never done. Yep. So, yeah, thanks. So Jesus sits down. His It's just, like, so great like everything is done for us it's completely done like there's not like a single little iota of like goodness that we can add to what jesus has done any other questions or comments or do, like do you guys like see the connection here it's like so cool right how the old testament just fits in with the new testament and the new testament fits in with the old testament and it's like this is just where everything always comes together this person of jesus all right, so what does Christ do for us as priests? So um, just because, for the sake of time, we're not going to like read through all of these things, but um, we'll... we'll uh... <coughs> uh, I have a question. I don't yeah. know if it's too far afoot, so feel, feel free to ignore it. But going back to page 1, Psalm 110, mm -hmm. Psalm 110 is like uh, incredibly significant. Why does the psalmist go back to Melchizedek? Like, Why doesn't he say, um, you are a priest forever in the order of Aaron? Why, why does he feel, the psalmist feel like he needs to go outside of the Levite tribe and mm -hmm. find this progenitor in the murky history of Genesis? Yeah. Um, so why, 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 why does this future once and for all priest have to be not, not a Levite? Yeah, well, this is it's a really good question because this, this person, Melchizedek, we know very, very little about who this person is. Like, he just shows up in this one spot and he kind of like disappears after that. What's it called? A cameo. Yeah, cameo. He's he like a cameo. Yeah, he like just like sticks his head into the screen for like two seconds and like takes off after that. So why did Jesus have to come from? Why? Why does? Yeah, the, the psalmist is very intentional about um, pointing out that it's Melchizedek. You know, like I'm thinking like the the, uh, the the people who read this verse, they might go Melchizedek. Like who? Like you probably have to, like go back into the scriptures and say like who is this guy? Um, so Michael's asking like why did why did he go out of his way to point out that? He comes from the order of Melchizedek, um, and why why not why not from the tribe of uh, the the Levites or from the order of Aaron? Um, I think it's because the, the the scriptures are trying to tell us that there's someone completely other than than what's the uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. This is I'm kind of like um, guessing here. <laughs> um, I, I think I think it's it's to tell to tell us that uh, that there's someone outside of the norm. That is going to act on our behalf, and like in some sense, like the people are putting their hope in um, the the Levitical priests, right? They're putting their hope in the fact that he really was uh, good enough. He was clean enough to approach the temple to offer the sacrifices to God. Forgot to accept his sacrifices, so in some sense, they are putting their hope in the Levitical priests. And I think what the psalmist might be saying is, okay, there's someone else. Who does something far better than that? And we see this this person Melchizedek, and um, and maybe it's maybe his what he does supersedes the work of the Levites. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. Um, Melchizedek precedes or predates Levi by five hundred years almost. Yeah, that's so, that. that. Five hundred. So his priesthood um, is uh, is uh, more foundational, right? I also think 
Um, here I'm also uh, a little bit um, just thinking off the cuff. Psalm 110 is about the future king, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think David, David wrote Psalm 110. He's talking about his future son, the king. And he says that this king is also going to be a priest. And then in the Old Testament, you would never have the priest and the king in the same person. They were mm-hmm. c- completely separate offices, right? Only people from Judah could be kings. Only people from Levi could be a uh, priest. Mm-hmm. And so he combines the office of priest and king, which would have really just been like, explode the categories in people's mind. You, yeah. you can't have a priest who's a king who's a king who's a priest. Yeah. You just can't. <laughs> but you go back to Genesis, there is a guy who is the king of Salem who is also a priest. And so it's like, yeah, it, it, uh, he's he's the picture of where both of these offices come yeah. together. Yeah, yeah, and you know, just to like, uh, uh, and also the, there's that image right you said where after in Hebrews one after purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. That image of sitting down is talking about completeness, but it also talks about only a king can sit. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone in the throne room stands. Yeah, and only the king sits, and to sit at the right hand that's that's the king. Yeah. You know, so it's a priest who sits. It's yeah. That's so deep. That's crazy. <laughs> and you know, like to uh, just like you wish you just tell. This is the gospel. It the is priest go- who sits. Well, yeah, this perfect. We're gonna look. We're gonna look more at this later. We're gonna see like how the gospel is found in all of this stuff. Um, let me just point out some like little factoids for you. So we don't really know who Melchizedek is. Uh, he just like shows up out of nowhere. Um, we know that he's a king of Salem. Uh, this is like just like kind of like um, a curiosity. I may be wrong here, but Salem. Have you ever heard the word shalom? Mm -hmm. What does shalom mean? Hello. Hello. (laughs) It means hello. It does mean hello. Yeah. It does mean hello. Um, (laughs) It it first means peace, but then you just say, hey, peace. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. So, shalom, guys. So, shalom means peace. So, Melchizedek is, is the king of Salem. Shalom, we see like this is sort of happens sometimes where it sounds so similar. The king of the city of peace, Jesus is the prince of peace. Like, it, like it's, I think it's really cool. Like, and actually there's a lot of debate as to who this person Melchizedek is. Some people say it's a real guy. He actually showed up. He actually lived. Um, other people say it might be Jesus because he shows up this one time in the Old Testament. Um, and he comes from this like place, the city of peace. And, uh, yeah, like, maybe it is Jesus, because we see Jesus shows up in other places in the Old Testament. He shows up in Daniel. He shows up in... Um... Yeah, so it's plausible that Salem, which we don't... I mean, we, there is no evidence of any such city on mm-hmm. Salem. It never appears ever again. It could be the predecessor city of Jerusalem. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And what, what does um, Melchizedek mean? The name? Uh, Melchizedek, I'm not sure. Uh, Mel is king. Zedek is... Righteousness. So he's, oh yeah. He's oh yeah. That's right. That's right. King of righteousness. So there's just like so many names. I mean, it's just like this nexus of meaning. King. Uh, you you bring back my uh, Hebrew class now. <laughs> King of righteousness. Um, I did really bad in my Hebrew class. <laughs> I actually thought I was gonna flunk my first uh, semester of Hebrew. That doesn't encourage us, way. Sorry. <laughs> the King of righteousness. God is righteous. You have a. Uh, you have it. <laughs> All right, so isn't that cool? It's just it's weird, right? Some people don't name their boys Melchizedek. I feel like this is a great name. Well, aren't you having a boy? Yeah, you're having a boy. 
<laughs> the next son after my son has to be named Melchizedek. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so what does Jesus do for us as a priest? Um, let's just go through this list really quickly. He always, always, always makes intercession for his people. So Jesus is always appearing before God on your behalf, acting as your representative. Jesus is always making requests on your behalf. He's always interceding for us. This very moment, Jesus is saying, Father, I come to you with the needs of Neiman. I come to you with the needs of Juzzy. And I'm coming on my own righteousness. And it's such an encouragement, right, to know that Jesus, he's always... I mean, just think in your time of deepest discouragement and in your time of of weakness and temptation, Jesus is standing before God and he's praying for you. He's he's Jesus is acting on your behalf at your at your deepest, darkest time in your life. This is what Jesus does for us as your priest. Um, he prays for our sanctification. We see this in the um, in the high priestly prayer in John seventeen. He allows us to approach the throne of grace. So why can we pray to God? Why are we able to approach God without fear of being struck dead? It's because of what Jesus has done in the heavenly temple. Um, he allows us to be righteous before God, and we can approach Him without fear of you know I'm gonna like I'm gonna come to God and I know that I've messed up, but He's not gonna strike me dead with a lightning bolt right now. Um, he's building us into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So. Um, here's the cool thing, like, we are all priests. We all belong to the priesthood of God. And we act as priests um, between people in our lives and and God. And Jesus is building a house for us, for us the priests. So it's like, now... Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Do you see like how Jesus just like shifts everything? Like everything? So cool. Alright. Um and he uh he Jesus protects us. Um and read these verses, they're they're really encouraging. Alright. So we get to the really good part right um, here. Can you um describe practically what does it mean to be like a priest to your friends or to your uh what do you guys think it means to be a priest to your to the people in your life? their names on your stones. Yeah. <laughs> um, what does it mean to be, and you guys can feel free to jump in, because um, I'm sure you guys have like better ideas than I do, but I think what it means to be a priest to your um, friends, your family, your co-workers is, what you do is like, number one, you, you bring them before God, say like, God, these people I care for in my life, um, and I want you to do something in their life, and um, you act as an intermediary between, like, you know, like, um, this is kind of like a bad example. Remember, I'm just thinking off this off the top of my head, but um, like back like two or three years ago, I had like three or four people in the span of like two months ask me, "Hey, like, can can, can we set you up with one of our friends?" <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, okay." Um, <laughs> actually, like in the end, nothing happened because I would like look at their Facebook profiles and I'd be like, "Uh, no." But, uh, <laughs> Um, but what, what, what these people did was they acted as a mediator between me and, and the person they wanted to hook me up with. Um, and 
<laughs> so, so what we do is we act as a mediator between people and God, except people aren't going to look at God and go, ooh, no. I mean, they might, but then um, God is so much better. And we, we tell them, like, hey, this is the person that, who, who, who's most important in my life, and I want to introduce you to this person, and I want to, you know, do, do what it takes to um, be a presence of God in their life. Remember that, that Jesus calls us his hands and his feet. So we treat them well. We treat them with kindness. We love them. We love them when no one else is going to love them. We love them I mean, when we them. The other thing is, um, you said a priest sympathizes yeah. um, and, and identifies with the people. I think what that means is that we should never feel like we're holier than thou or that we're too above. Like, oh my gosh, you, you do these disgusting, dirty sins. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can sympathize. We understand. We never think that we're above. Yeah. We're just we're among the people. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think uh, uh, Christians need to have that kind of deep sympathy. Mm-hmm. for their friends yeah yeah totally so uh, that's hard right to really sympathize with our friends um, but without also joining in the sin <laughs> yeah Jesus did it right he did he hung around prostitutes and <coughs> without ever joining in their sin and mm-hmm. he felt completely safe comfortable with yeah them. yeah that's I think that's a discipline we all need to learn is like there are people that we think are never going to come to God or we think that they're like far too far beyond God's reach and God says, be their friend, hang out with him, you know, like, go to get some boba with him or something. <laughs> Instead of alcohol. <laughs> um, all right, so the, our last phase, the gospel and the paradigm of the new priesthood. So the old priesthood um, was, was based on uh, the Mosaic Covenant. So do you guys remember what the Mosaic Covenant is? What was the basis of the Mosaic Covenant? Ten Commandments. I'm sorry? Ten Commandments. Yeah, ten, ten Commandments, commandments. okay. Commandments. And what what did God say through the Mosaic Covenant? Like, what was it? It was... Obey and you will live. Yeah, obey and you will live. Obey equals life. And then disobey equals what? Death. Death. Exile. Death. Exile. So the Mosaic Covenant says, you know, um, I'm going to... As long as you uphold this end of the bargain, I'm going to uphold this end of the bargain, right? So Mosaic Covenant, um, if you had to go by that, then you have to always constantly watch what you're doing. You have to like be really mindful. And if you didn't, then there were consequences for that. This is what the Levitical priesthood represented. And we see here that the old priesthood was temporary and imperfect. The new priesthood, the Abrahamic Covenant... Do you guys remember what that is? I promise. Promise? Okay. A promise of what? Bless. Promise to bless. So this, whereas this was conditional, the Mosaic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant is unconditional. And when God made this covenant with Abraham, he said, I'm going to give you people. I'm going to give you land. I'm gonna, you're going to have to take possession of the things that... I'm going to give you, and it's going to be incredible, and it's unconditional. And this is this is what the Melchizedek priesthood is. It, it represents the new priesthood, and this is what's eternal. This is what's perfect. The Abrahamic covenant is a gospel in the Old Testament, and now this applies to us as well. It's no longer that if we mess up, that God's going to kill us. 
it's not con- it's it's no longer conditional it's unconditional god god will unconditionally bless us because of what jesus has done so the new priesthood is eternal and it's perfect uh, i'm going to have Ashley, can I have you read um, Hebrews seven eleven through uh, sixteen, and then Gary, I'm going to have you finish off this passage um, seventeen through twenty two. So he- Hebrews seven eleven through twenty two is what we're reading. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Thanks. All right. Carry for it is witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hold on, sorry, stop right there. All right, this is Psalm 110, right? Cool how it comes together. All right, keep on going. <laughs> for on the one hand, a formal commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for which the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Alright, so do you guys see the gospel here? This this passage is a, is kind of like this, the, everything like changes here. And he's saying that the old order was, it was, it was what it was back then, but then it wasn't enough ultimately. And this is why he says, um, "There's necess- for when there's a change in the priesthood, um, the, the, the old priesthood and the new priesthood, there's necessarily an, a change in the law as well. And whereas the law in the past was something that you would keep to be blessed by God, it was you kept the law to have a right relationship with God. What is the change in the, in the law? The gospel says that the, the, the new law is this. It's that Jesus has done everything. And you don't need to keep the law to have a relationship with God. You, as a sinner, can approach God, the Holy One. And this is possible because of what Jesus has done. And because Jesus is righteous, He represents us. God looks at Jesus and He says, Jesus is righteous. And in turn, we are righteous. So when Jesus, when God looks at us, God sees nothing of our sin. He only sees the perfection of Jesus. That's so cool, right? This is the gospel. Can I graphically represent? Yeah. I feel like it'll make things clear. I mean, if this is biblical timeline, what you're saying is this is the Abrahamic covenant, right? Um, and it, 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 it precedes the Mosaic covenant, and the Mosaic covenant is a layer on top, right? Because it was introduced after. And the Mosaic covenant ends, but the Abrahamic covenant keeps going on, and, you know, in the New Testament it's called the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. And so what this is saying is Jesus is is a new priest, not in the old covenant, but it harkens back to Abraham, which continues on as the promise of of God uh, blessing His people unconditionally, right? And so, this, I mean, this is this is the argument. I mean, it's it's we like <laughs> we covered a incredibly deep, deep concept, 
But, I mean, the argument is basically the reason why Jesus' priesthood is valid is because it goes back to something earlier that is actually foundational. And this is why it does not subvert the, old co- the Mosaic Covenant because the Mosaic Covenant was always a layer on top mm-hmm. of the Abrahamic Covenant. The yeah. Abrahamic Covenant goes on forever. Right. It never ends. Yeah. Yeah, so God has always intended to bless his people, right? He's always had Jesus in mind to accomplish what man could not accomplish. That's so cool. All right. So let's finish off with this. I'll just read. Um, so Jesus moves through the heavenly tabernacle and earthly rituals are copy and shadow. I'm just going to read uh, Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 10, the two middle verses right here, or two middle passages. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he's referring to the earthly temple, um, but now there's something higher. There's something heavenly. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, the temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. So the reality is that Jesus is enters this heavenly temple, some cosmic temple, where he offers not the blood of others, but the blood of himself before God. And Hebrews 10.1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And let me um, read the last passage at the bottom of the page, or last verse. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is what Jesus has done. This is the gospel and God has always had in mind the gospel through all of biblical history. And it, I think that's an incredible verse because it basically says the temple, which seems so concrete and tangible, was actually just a model. Mm-hmm. It was just a, um, a, a, a stand-in scale of the real thing which is in heaven, mm-hmm. of Jesus eventually making sacrifice. <coughs> yeah, that's incredible. It is incredible. That's why it's, te- it's destroyed. We don't need it anymore. Yeah. It's like a... It was a, the, the, the temple was destroyed in uh, 70, 80, 70, right? So the Jews are like, oh, we need the temple again. And we're like, no, you don't. <laughs> um, but it was sad that the temple was destroyed. Um, but anyways, all right, any questions, comments before we close? Michael's going to teach on King next week, right? Yes, I'm going to do a two-part series on King. Um, in some sense, prophet, priest, uh, so seminal, but actually King is the dominant office. Mm-hmm. Um, and today's lesson is really good because it, it dovetails almost perfectly with the sermon. Mm-hmm. In some ways, the sermon is a repeat of what you said. Haha, <laughs> cool. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus, our priest. We love you. We love you for what you've done and for We thank you for the Abrahamic covenant. We thank you for this weird guy, Melchizedek. We thank you for Jesus. And may you always remind us of this guy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.